This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Daily Show, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Jimmy Dore Show, Counterspin, Media Matters, The Young Turks, and Countdown with Keith Olbermann with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from The Young Turks. Now, while we were all focused on the infighting at MSNBC and myself and Stephen Colbert, I wonder what's going on at that other network that doesn't suspend or fire their employees for backing political candidates, but instead goes ahead and hires the actual candidates, thus cutting out the middleman. (laughs) What's on their minds? There's been a lot of focus on the president's trip to India and throughout Asia. Big controversy as to what the real cost of the trip is. It's going to cost about $200 million a day for this entourage to go. $200 million a day? 3,000 people? As much as a billion dollars for the trip? Half a billion dollars. It's going to be somewhere around there. Some people say that it is up to $2 billion for 10 days. Is that true? I don't know. And how many ships will be there? 34 warships, possibly. I don't know. (laughs) He's just saying, by the way, that was television's Glenn Beck acting as always as Fox News' voice of reason. But before we all rush to judgment on idle speculation about how much it costs, why don't we just consult someone whose grasp of these ever-increasing figures comes with no equivocation or uncertainty. Someone like radio's Glenn Beck just three hours earlier. So he's traveling with 34 warships, an entourage of 3,000 people, $2 billion, 34 warships, $2 billion to go over to see the Festival of Lights because the president says he wants to experience it. Thank God TV's Glenn Beck doesn't ever listen to radio's Glenn Beck. (laughs) Has anyone checked out where these numbers come from? I bet Fox News follow the money guy Eric Bowling is on it. It's a trip equipped for a king, a president, 40 planes, six armored cars, including the Barackmobile, you know, the beast, the entire Taj Mahal, 570 rooms in all, an entourage of 3,000 people, three choppers, 30 bomb-sniffing dogs, a total cost, 200 million bucks a day. Okay, two things. One, the Taj Mahal is in the hotel. And two, 40 planes, but only 30 dogs? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Who's going to fly the other 10 planes? <laughs> it's going to be a rough plane. Oh, I don't know. What are you doing? In Fox's defense, it is a confusing story. And if you want to debunk these figures, you would have to call somebody with an outside line. This trip doesn't cost $200 million a day. Some 34 ships in an aircraft carrier in support of the president's trip to Asia. That's just comical. Just to put it in perspective, uh, it costs about $190 million a day to execute the war in Afghanistan. That $200 million a day figure, where'd that come from? Well, that was in a quote by an alleged Indian provincial official. Oh my God, Fox has been outsourcing even their bull manufacturing jobs.
my god. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Did you hear? Did you hear? Get this. One tenth of the entire United States Navy and $200 million a day is what it's going to take to send Barack Obama on a trip to India. I know. Did you hear about this? Taxpayers are spending $200 million a day, and the U.S. Navy is providing 34 warships just to send Barack Obama to India. Did you hear about this? No, really, did you hear it? I totally heard about this. Just within a day or so, the President of the United States will be taking a trip over to India that is expected to cost the taxpayers $200 million a day. He's taking 2,000 people with him. He'll be renting out over 870 rooms in India, and these are five-star hotel rooms at the Taj Mahal Palace Hotel. No one really knows the cost because for security reasons, they don't disclose the cost. So this idea that it's you know $200 million or whatever is simply made up. Well, these are the numbers that have been coming out in the press. Now, that, that is actually true. That last thing she said there about how these numbers have been coming out in the press, that is true. Uh, those numbers have, in fact, been coming out in the press in a very, very specific part of the press. $200 million a day, 3,000 people. He's, he needs the whole Taj Mahal Hotel. It, that's actually reported. I mean, it seems like no, that. No, 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 no. It's two billion dollars. Yeah, we have thirty-four warships. Have you seen this? Five hundred seven rooms at Taj Mahal. Four, uh, forty airplanes. Two hundred million dollars a day. This nation will spend on Obama's trip to India. What's Obama about to do? Go on a trip to India that will cost $200 million. That's $200 million per day. I will tell you, unequivocally, this has been reported. Go to the internet. Go My take home. a look. I'm not making this up. The show's not making this up. Go to the internet. I'm not making this up. This stuff is on the internet. It's true on the internet. You want to know what else is true on the internet? Uh, canned unicorn meat with sparkles. You want to know what else is true on the internet? And zoom in a little bit and a little bit closer. What does that look like to you? Those are the bites of a vampire. Rachel Maddow is a vampire. We are letting a lesbian vampire comment on America. I love that guy. Sometimes what you learn about um, on the internet, some, sometimes when you learn about what people think is true on the internet, you learn about it in weird ways. Um, for example, at some point recently, somebody started screaming at me in all caps on Twitter, why don't you ask Obama why Muslims are exempt from Obamacare? Now your immediate natural response to that is, oh, this is very sad. This is a crazy person who thinks that Muslims are exempt from health reform. This is sad that this crazy person is crazy and thinks that. But at least all they're doing is yelling at me about it in all caps on the internet. Uh, turns out it is more than just one crazy person on the internet. If you go on Google right now, I know this from experience, if you go to Google and you try to search for articles about this allegation, Muslims exempt from Obamacare, to see if other people believe this crazy thing, you only get as far as typing in Muslims E before Muslims exempt from Obamacare pops right up. <laughs> it is not true, of course, but people believe this stuff.
There is a lot of stuff on the internet. Stuff being on the internet is not a guarantee that it is true. And this has been true and this has been an issue as long as there has been an internet and a rumor mill before that. But today, we have an alternate self-contained right-wing media universe. The right-wing websites and talk radio and the right-wing TV network. And in that alternate self-contained right-wing media universe, this stuff is not just repeated as if it is fact. It is made into de facto fact. In the alternate self-contained right-wing media universe, this whole we're spending $200 million a day to send Barack Obama to India thing is true because they've confirmed it for each other. They looked it up on the internet and it's totally there. Their friend said it right alongside the unicorn meat. I will take the liberty this time of dismissing as absolutely absurd this notion that somehow we were deploying 10% of the Navy, some 34 ships in an aircraft carrier in support of the president's trip to Asia. That's just comical. Uh, nothing close to that is, uh, is, is being done. It is not, in fact, true that it is costing American taxpayers $200 million a day to send the president to India, nor is it true that one-tenth of the Navy is being dispatched to take him there. It is not true. But the fact that it's not true doesn't matter anymore. I mean, there have always been myths and lies around, around American politics, but there used to be a process of debunking those things, and then they would more or less go away, give or take the fringe, give or take uh, protocols of the elders of Zion. But the debunking process is gone now. No non-right-wing information is allowed to be used to debunk right-wing information. So if conservatives self-confirm something as fact in their closed-circuit media world, it's fact to them. We should have known we had lost the capacity to debunk when this happened. They're going to be saying, no, you can't give this person a hip replacement. They're too old. This will be done by this federal board, uh, which is really the death panel that Sarah Palin was talking about. The death panels, yes, back in the news again. She warned Americans about so-called death panels. Those death panels, which created a big controversy. There weren't death panels in health reform. Democrats, in fact, accepted a Republican proposed idea to promote living wills where people say what they want their own end of life care to be. That is not a death panel. There are no death panels. There never were. But in the alternate self-contained right-wing media universe, death panels are real. In that world, it's true. They've confirmed it with each other, and it is therefore unquestionable. The reason this is more than just funny or sad is that when people who are, who are informed by their time in the alternate self-contained right-wing media universe, when those people move on in life, sometimes what they're moving on to is getting control of parts of the government. I'm very concerned about the international moves they're making, particularly the question that there was about moving the United States off of the dollar and onto a global currency. Between 1942 and 1947, the data that was collected by the Census Bureau was handed over to the FBI and other organizations at the request of uh, President Roosevelt, and that's how the Japanese were rounded up and put into the internment camps. I'm not saying that that's what the administration is planning to do, but I am saying that private personal information that was given to the Census Bureau in the 1940s was used against Americans to round them up. Did you hear that the census is being used as a tool by the Obama administration to round up conservatives and put them in internment camps just like the Japanese in 1940? I totally heard that. 
Now the census is over, so you may be watching this from a conservative internment camp right now. If you are, I apologize for any offense. But the idea that the U.S. Census, mandated by the Constitution, is a thinly veiled conspiracy to round us all up and put us in internment camps, the idea that Barack Obama has a dastardly plot to eliminate the dollar and create a one-world currency, those things aren't just stupid, they're true on the political right. And because she is undebunkable in today's media world, Michelle Bachman is now vying to become the number four Republican in the leadership of the United States House of Representatives. Things that are true only in self-contained right-wing media world are leaking out into real politics. At a recent rally, Nevada Senate candidate Sharon Angle said, quote, Dearborn, Michigan and Frankfort, Texas are on American soil and under constitutional law, not Sharia law, and I don't know how that happened in the United States. It seems to me there is something fundamentally wrong with allowing a foreign system of law to even take hold in any municipality or government situation in our United States, end quote. Sharia law has not, in fact, supplanted the United States Constitution anywhere in the United States. When confronted with that truth, candidate Sharon Engel's response was not to withdraw the claim, but to explain why she believed it, which is good enough for her. Did you say, though, that Sharia law was in place in Dearborn right now? I had read that in, in one place that they had um, started using some Sharia law there. That's what I had read. I have no doubt that you have, in fact, read that, Sharon Engel. If you have been reading around in conservative media world recently, you have read a lot of stuff like that. And because that media world is now so big and so well-funded that it is self-contained and self-sustaining, there is no debunking of this stuff anymore. It just becomes true by dint of mutual conservative reinforcement and repetition. Their mission is to blur or completely erase the borders between Canada, U.S., and Mexico to get goods and services freely flowing between all three countries in the dream of one big happy Mexamerica Canada. I guarantee it is one of their long-term goals to have, you know, one sort of borderless mass continent. American scientific companies are crossbreeding humans and animals and coming up with with mice with fully functioning human brains. You want to know what happened in Laredo? Did you hear what happened in Laredo? Oh my God, a Mexican drug gang called the Zetas. The Zetas rampaged over the border and took over two ranches in Laredo, Texas. American ranches now being run right now by a Mexican drug gang. Mexican drug gangs have officially breached the border. The invasion from Mexico has begun. Did you hear about it? Did you hear about it? If you live in right-wingville in this country, then I'm sure you have heard all about it. None of it is true. None of those things actually happened. Fuck you guys. Eric Holder, we disagree with that. She, she what? Kind of voted to confirm Eric Holder. And why are you against that? Because, because he's we're the most anti-gun uh, attorney general this country has ever had. What's he done on guns that you're upset about, though? Just so I mean. I, I honestly, I'm not, I don't know enough about him to answer that truthfully, Rachel. Can I just ask why are you upset about Eric Holder? Because he's anti-gun. What has he done that's anti-gun? I don't have all the facts, but I know that he is anti-gun. A little baby with ink on their foot, stamped right there on the birth certificate. There's one in this country we haven't seen. Get it? Barack Hussein Obama haven't seen that birth certificate yet. With the little feet. 
Again, for the record, Barack Obama was born in Hawaii. Eric Holder hasn't done anything against gun rights. Mexican drug gangs are not seizing ranches in Texas. Mice with human brains. That one, actually, I take a pass. I can't disprove that. Uh, but Mexamera Canada, I can say with confidence, not actually happening. This is not just about gullible people believing untrue things. It is about what's new in America, about gullible people believing untrue things. There is a closed circuit, giant, super well-funded conservative media machine that not only promotes this stuff when it is politically convenient, but they reinforce it and validate it and fend off any ability to debunk this stuff. So things that would have been disprovable myths in times past in America now become conservative truth. Things that can be easily disproven outside of conservative America can never be disproven if you live in their closed circuit world on the right. The other thing that's new is what happened on Tuesday night. Politicians who are a product of this media culture, who raised their money for their campaigns on Fox News, the undebunkable faith-based fact horde is going to Washington. And as they get there, that becomes itself another means of validating these politically convenient made-up things. They now put the prestige of the U.S. government, the portion of it that they control at least, behind all of this made-up stuff. Their new positions of power help to validate all of these otherwise totally disprovable things. I keep reading that Obama keeps bringing small quantities of Muslims into this country. Why can't Congress stop that? Okay, freeze frame. You're a member of Congress. You are Republican Congressman Steve King of Iowa in this case. You get asked that question by a constituent. You have not heard that specific conspiracy theory about Obama and the tiny quantities of Muslims he keeps sneaking into the nation. What do you say when confronted with this question? Here's the difference between you and the new Republican Congress. This is how Republican Congressman Steve King chose to respond to that thing he'd never heard before. I keep reading that Obama keeps bringing small quantities of Muslims into this country. Why can't Congress stop that? You know, I don't, I don't know um, what what the basis is of that. I wouldn't be surprised that that is a real factual basis. To be clear, Steve King, a serving member of Congress, has never heard that crazy story before. He doesn't know it to be true. It has never crossed his mind before. But there he is telling a member of the public that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. It very well might be true. Because, you know, sounds good. So now Obama has tiny quantities of Muslims on him at all times, and he's taking 34 warships with him to India, and these things cannot be disproven. There is no debunking process anymore. If you do not live in right-wing land and you agree that those things have been debunked, if that's not your reality, how do you ever talk to those people? Welcome to the case 
of Anderson Cooper gets it right. And this is a really interesting case because the Republican talking machine rarely, if ever, gets called out on their bullshit. And I mean bald-faced lies about basic facts. Remember death panels? Yellow cake uranium? The birthers, for Christ's sake. But here they get called out on their BS by the other mainstream journalists. Why? Why on this story would they want to debunk it? I mean, it's certainly not because other talking points haven't been equally easy to disprove. Remember Shirley Sherrod's a racist? Remember that? They could have fact-checked that story just by not pressing the pause button on the tape. Yeah, literally watching the tape a few more minutes would have disproven the Shirley Sherrod story, and the news cycle is over. But no one did that until after she was fired. And with this India case, the mainstream press will not give him a pass. Why? Here's why. Because the story hinged on a specific number. Yeah, numbers which were repeated over and over again. 200 million, 32 ships, 3,000 people. And for some reason, mainstream press guys won't let numbers go like that. They'll let, say, Bill O'Reilly get away with claiming a Montana school wanted to teach little public school kids about homosexuality in kindergarten. Yeah, he really said that, and no, nobody challenged him on it. But numbers, for some reason, numbers stick in the craw of other journalists. Mm -hmm. Because numbers never lie. I mean, except they lie all the time. But I guess at least they don't sound equivocal. So let this be a lesson to you right-wing media echo chamber that is factless. When you fax out your daily talking points from what I assume is a James Bond villain-like secret lair hidden in a volcano, when you send out those memos, just don't include specific numbers. You can include all kinds of crazy lies. You know, for instance, this past Sunday, Representative Mike Pence claimed raising income taxes actually lowers federal revenues, which, you know, defies the laws of causal reality. But for God's sake, he didn't use specific numbers. So keep it vague and everything will be fine. And by fine, I mean a completely unregulated economy run by a pseudo-religious corporate oligopoly. That kind of fine. This had better not be moron. Oh my, hang on. <laughs> Hey, it's Jimmy. Who's this? Hey, Jimmy. How you doing? It's Moron. Hey, Moron. What's up, buddy? How are you? Ah, uh, Jimmy, you know me. I'm a good American. I vote against my own economic interests. Mm -hmm. I have lots of anger at the government, but it's misplaced. But I do find comfort in the fact that my Lord Jesus the Christ hates exactly the same people I do, which is nice. Okay, well, what's on your mind today, Moron? $200 million a day. $200 million a day. <laughs> Moron, you know that's 32 been... 32 <laughs> warships. That's been... 32 warships. 3,000 servants traveling with him. Servants? First of all, that's been debunked, Moron. $200 million a day. $200 million a day. Why, why do you keep saying that number, Moron? 34 warships. Moron, stop. <laughs> Moron. 34 warships. 3,000 servants traveling with them. Oh. 3,000, Jim. Oh, okay, you're going to have to calm down about this because it's all false. Oh, come on, Jim. How could that be false? I heard it on the news. Yeah, Warren, you heard it on Fox News. You mean the most watched news channel in all of cable? Yes, I saw it on there. What's your point, Jim? Yeah, 
that's why I know it's false. No, Jim, I did not only hear it there. I heard it way other places, too. I read it on the Drudge Report. I heard it on the radios. I uh, even heard that Mark Levin say it. <laughs> yeah, well, what does that prove, moron? So, if it was a false story, then one of them would have caught the other one and corrected them, but they didn't. Well, they didn't, but, the, you know, NBC did and CNN, they corrected oh, the story. you mean the lame stream media? They'll never yeah. tell you nothing. Well, yeah, I mean the, yeah, I mean the sane stream media. Lame stream, Jim. No, sane, sane stream. Lame stream. The body like soft serve, dipping down in the June sun. I tried to shoot a thought, but the thought sunk. You can support this show at no additional cost yourself when you shop at Amazon after clicking through to their site using the Amazon banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through using that banner once and then bookmark that page to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal, but Amazon will donate around 7 to 8% of your order to this show without adding a dime to your bill. This doesn't take much effort on your part and costs you nothing, but makes a huge difference supporting the show. Thanks so much for your help. Washington Post columnist Dana Milbank recently wrote an unflattering piece about Fox's election coverage. That led Bill O'Reilly to joke about Milbank being decapitated. But this was only the latest example of a demented Fox News culture that permits on-air personalities to fantasize about murder and violence against those deemed enemies of the station, its personalities, or their worldview. Before Fox hired him, Glenn Beck was famous for talking about killing filmmaker Michael Moore with his bare hands and hoping out loud that Congress member Dennis Kucinich would be burned alive. At Fox, Beck performed a 2009 skit portraying himself poisoning Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. In 2008, Fox News contributor Liz Trotta and GOP presidential candidate Mike Huckabee, who would be given his own Fox News show months later, joked about the assassination of Barack Obama. Recently, the website NewsHounds detailed how Fox's owned and operated fan website, Fox Nation, features comments calling for Barack Obama's assassination, including posts calling for the president to get what Kennedy got, for the CIA to take this press down, and a warning to the president that the Quran, quote, ain't thick enough to stop a 308 caliber round, close quote. If this wasn't so deadly serious, it would be seriously funny. O'Reilly has spent years talking about civility and accusing progressive websites of fomenting hate speech. His crusade targets the comment sections of such websites, highlighting entries that generally pale in comparison to those broadcast on Fox. But even more ironic is that when O'Reilly is called out for failing to distinguish between the editorial content and the comment sections of these websites, he argues that the groups should be responsible for everything that appears on their websites. Quote, open forum is bull. You can regulate what's on your website, close quote. But apparently not what's on your cable news channel. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Jess Levin. In a recent Daily Beast interview, Fox News chairman Roger Ailes referred to NPR as, quote, Nazis. 
It shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone given that Fox News employees have also used Nazi and Holocaust imagery to smear progressives. I mean, this is what Hitler did with the SS. He had his own people. He had the brown shirts and then the SS. It's like the Ku Klux Klan. It's like the Nazi party. There's no difference here. Um, no, of course not. They're Nazi block watchers. This is what they're good at. In the past, right-wing extremists like Hitler and Mussolini were in the forefront of state control. Today's totalitarians are primarily on the left. I am not saying that Barack Obama is a fascist. If I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, in the early days of Adolf Hitler, they were, they were very happy to line up for help there as well. Glenn Beck is, uh, as we know, a questionable character, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, and he loves violent imagery. You know, when I say, for example, you beat them with a political stick, I say proverbially, I just try to be careful, just in case someone misinterprets. Uh, Glenn Beck is not nearly as careful, <laughs> again, to say the least. Um, when he uses violent imagery, he goes all the way with it. He's going to use it here in relationship to MSNBC. Honestly, I can't quite decipher what he's trying to say. All I know is that there is a lot of death in there. Okay, so let's watch and try to figure it out together. If I may make a prediction, they are going to make this into a uh, talking point, a regular talking point. You are going to hear the liberals come out and start to throw MSNBC under the bus and throw them under the bus hard. And here's why. MSNBC is marked for death. Um, if it is sold to Comcast, Comcast will run it like a business. If it if it remains liberal, it will just be a a good liberal station. It will just run um, things that will actually get ratings. Um, if it is uh, if it's not, um, it will most likely just be a news channel. Or I, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do with it. But it, it 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 won't it won't feature Keith Olbermann, and they know that. And so, just like, just like everyone, as soon as they start to outlive their usefulness for radicals and revolutionaries, they shoot them in the head. And that's exactly what's going to happen to MSNBC. And they'll offer up a false choice. They'll say, look, we're willing to get rid of MSNBC. You just get rid of Fox, and then we can have real news. Mark my words, that's what they will say. We'll get rid of MSNBC and you get rid of Fox. Yeah, really? You'll do that? Oh, you'll you'll shoot the, sh the uh, shows that nobody watches on one that's marked for death anyway? Oh, well, how big of you? I don't think so. Now, I've listened to that three times. I'm still trying to figure it out. Why is MSNBC marked for death? Other than the fact that he loves to, you know, mark things for death. Why are they going to get shot in the head? The best I can figure out is that he's saying that liberals are going to throw MSNBC under the bus, which, by the way, on which planet? For what reason? He, and I guess his theory is they're going to throw them under the bus so that they can get rid of Fox News, too. But who's making that deal? In which conspiratorial world is somebody going to go, and what are they going to do? Tell the president, okay, you know what? Or, or Republicans and, and Democrats in the Senate, they, they can't get rid of Fox News. They can't get rid of MSNBC. That's not how the world works. They can't just make it, all right, fine, you get rid of Fox, we'll get rid of MSNBC. 
Democratic senators don't control MSNBC or Fox News. Neither do Republican senators. Neither does the president. What's he talking about? I think he just wanted it as an excuse to say the liberals are going to kill their own. They're going to shoot people in the head. They're marked for death. And they suck. And then, and then by the way, randomly in the, in the middle there, Keith Oberman uh, will not be working there anymore. Based on what? Right? And by the way, if you notice, in the middle of his mad ramblings, he also said, it'll either be a good liberal station with good ratings, okay, or it'll be a news station. Yeah. So? <laughs> I mean, none of the, but that doesn't match what you were saying before or after. None of it makes any sense. But, I, you know, in some ways I envy Glenn Beck because I have to sit here and connect the facts and make sense and have it be logical every day. Right? He is not burdened by that. He's got an audience that apparently doesn't give a damn. So he comes in and he's like, X, Y, Z, murder, death, shoot in the head. Yeah, liberals, weird, terrible, communist, Maoist. C. <laughs> I don't see Glenn, but I guess your audience doesn't give a damn. I, if that's how they roll, well, I, I guess that makes your job easier. You don't have to bother trying to make sense. All right. Look, uh, unfortunately, what I think some of in, in his audience will get out of that is, yeah, MSNBC, mark for death, shoot them in the head. I got it. Now, look, th that it, honestly, if you told me that two years ago, I'd say, well, that sounds crazy. I don't probably nobody will get that. I'm not sure if that's what he's intending, except he said similar things about the Tides Foundation. And then somebody got in a car with a lot of weapons and tried to kill everybody at the Tides Foundation. Luckily, cops caught up with him before he did. And then when interviewed in prison, he said, yeah, Glenn Beck's the great teacher. He told me I got to go get the Tides Foundation. That happened already. God, if that had happened with one of our listeners, I, I, I would be mortified. And I would come out and every day I'd be like, my God, don't do that. What are you? Are you nuts? Right? Now, Glenn Beck, totally undaunted, comes out. Yeah, mark for death. Shoot them in the head. I mean, look, I don't know if he's encouraging it. At the very, very least, he's completely oblivious to the incredibly violent images he's sending out. But I think a lot of people are going to call me naive if they think, if I think he's actually oblivious to it. But is he that bad? Does he really want to get people? To, I can't believe that, but maybe I am naive. Hey, David Pakman here, host of The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. If you're like me, you're a regular listener of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with Jay Tomlinson. If you like that, I invite you to check out my show, The David Pakman Show. Not only will you hear the best of the left, but you'll also hear some of the worst of the right, including some of the craziest bigots and racists around. But don't worry, I don't agree with them. Check out davidpakman.com, check out our show, continue listening to Best of the Left podcast, and even consider becoming a member of The David Pakman Show, all at davidpakman.com. Here is the thing that actually happened. A little less than a year ago, back in January of this year, the president spoke and took questions and engaged in what was, by all accounts, a very lively debate with Republicans, with House Republicans at the Republican House Conference in Baltimore. Remember this? The Republicans invited the president to this event of theirs. The president accepted their invitation. The whole thing was negotiated and arranged in advance. During those negotiations about the appearance, right, 
The White House asked that the camera crews that were already scheduled to cover the president's remarks to the Republican conference, those crews be allowed to stay for the question and answer session that would follow. The Republicans talked it over, they agreed in advance, and then, not at all surprisingly, because it had all been negotiated in advance, the president did go to that event. And it made for amazing television. I remember this in particular because we launched into what was, in effect, special coverage here on MSNBC because it was such an incredible moment in television to be able to have this unscripted confrontation between the parties like this. We couldn't help but spend most of primetime um, playing it and talking about it, even if I didn't have time to comb my hair that night, apparently. Even though all the terms of this event had been carefully negotiated in advance by the White House and the Republicans together, it wasn't what you usually see in politics. It made for some pretty intense and interesting TV. You have repeatedly said most recently at, at, at the State of the Union um, that Republicans have offered no ideas and, and, and no solutions in spite of the fact. I don't think I said that. What I said was in, within the context of health care, I, 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 I remember that speech pretty well. It was only two days ago. I said I welcome ideas that you might provide. I didn't say that you hadn't provided ideas. I said I welcome those ideas that you'll provide. President, multiple times from your administration, there have come statements that Republicans have no ideas and no solutions. In spite of the fact that we've offered, as demonstrated today, positive solutions to all of the challenges we face, including energy and the economy and, and health care. Tom, I, look, I, I have to say that on the, let's, let's just take the health care debate. And, and it's probably not constructive for us to try to debate a particular bill. Uh, that this isn't the venue to do it. Um, but if you say we can offer coverage for all Americans and it won't cost a penny, that's just not true. You, you can't structure a bill where suddenly 30 million people have coverage and it costs nothing. It can't just be political assertions that aren't substantiated when it comes to the actual details of policy. Because otherwise, we're going to be selling the American people a bill of goods. I remember that Fox News Channel that night got sort of uncomfortable and cut away from it in the middle. Uh, but pretty much everybody else carried the whole thing live as it was happening. That was a thing that actually happened. That was real. That was real history, recent history from less than a year ago. Here, for example, are some of the headlines that ran about that televised event around the time that it happened. Here's the New York Times, off script, Obama and the GOP vent politely. Here's the Washington Post, Obama, House GOP hold a wide open exchange. Here's one from a website called Politico that is widely read in the Beltway. Their headline was, as cameras roll, Obama faces down GOP. That was a thing that actually happened, a real thing. Today, cable news all day was driven by a story from that same website, Politico, that was purportedly about that same real event but was completely made up. I don't mean to say it was completely made up by Politico. Quite transparently, it was made up by unnamed Republican staffers who were trying to inject a new anti-Obama story into the news today that didn't have any basis in fact whatsoever. Those are the folks who made it up. It was Politico that printed it. 
In a story on the delay of a new planned upcoming meeting between President Obama and Republican leaders, Politico reported late last night, quote, the roots of the partisan standoff date back to January, when President Barack Obama crashed a GOP meeting in Baltimore to deliver a humiliating rebuke of House Republicans. Obama's last-minute decision to address the House GOP retreat and the one-sided televised presidential lecture many Republicans decried as a political ambush has left a lingering distrust of Obama invitations and a wariness about accommodating every scheduling request emanating from the West Wing, aides tell Politico. Quote, he has a ways to go to rebuild the trust, said a top Republican Hill staffer. The Baltimore thing was unbelievable. There were House Republicans who only knew Obama was coming when they saw Secret Service guys scouting out the place. None of that is true. I mean, I should be specific here, I should be precise. I am sure some unnamed Republican operative said exactly those words, and that's why there are quotes in the article to justify those words being written. But just printing something somebody said is not itself, what do you call it? News, right? It's publicity. And in this case, it's publicizing somebody's totally fake, untrue story about a knowable, reported on real thing. I, I don't know why Republicans want to delay their meeting that was planned for this week with President Obama. I don't know why that is. I can say with confidence, and so can you, that it's not because the president needs to regain their trust that he lost when he crashed their retreat in January, when he ambushed them at the last minute with TV cameras they didn't know were coming. I know for sure that's not the reason Republicans canceled that meeting this week, because that never happened. Politico did make revisions to the piece over the course of the day. Uh, at one point today, check this out, check this out. Here's the full, original, totally made up quote from this unnamed Republican staffer. It says, he has a ways to go to rebuild the trust, said a top Republican Hill staffer. The Baltimore thing was unbelievable. There were House Republicans who only knew Obama was coming when they saw Secret Service guys scouting out the place. That again was a top Republican Hill staffer being quoted by Politico, saying something that is patently, provably, knowingly, definitely, factually, empirically not true. House Republicans did not only know the president was coming to their meeting when they saw the Secret Service showed up. They, they invited him. And the fact that they had invited him had been widely reported for weeks in advance. As Josh Marshall of Talking Points Memo pointed out today, the Republicans even issued their own press release announcing that the president had accepted their invitation more than two weeks before the event. So there is no way Republicans, as this unnamed Republican source tells Politico, there's no way Republicans didn't know President Obama was coming to their retreat until they saw saw the Secret Service at the event itself. It's just not possible. So when the folks at Politico today revised the article to make it less lie-ish, um, after facing some criticism for this online today, they just dropped the second part of that quote. And they kept the first part. They kept the attack on the president that preceded the totally, provably untrue thing. Here's the revised version. Quote, he has a ways to go to rebuild the trust, said a top Republican Hill staffer. The Baltimore thing was unbelievable, end quote. They're now quoting a source that we know lied to them. A source who we know is telling lies for the purposes of political spin. And even as that has been proven by Politico's own editing, they keep in the spin. They keep it in there. This is Beltway Journalism Today. 
And this is what drove the Beltway conversation today. Republicans say President Obama ambushed them. Republicans say Obama broke their trust. Republicans also say they're fiscally conservative. Republicans say they're cracking down on our national debt by cutting earmarks. It is true that Republicans have been saying all these things. That is not the same thing as those things being true. In that spirit, I hereby declare that if there is in fact a coup in Madagascar today, it is to name me Queen of Madagascar. Also, this show gets higher ratings than Monday Night Football. And General Electric promised everyone who works on this show a pony. It is true that those things have all been said. I just said them. You could put them in quotes. It is true that someone has said those things. That is not the same thing as those things being true. There is a difference, and it's really, really, really important. Something's happening on the streets. So let's presuppose for a moment that you actually enjoy this show. Now, if that's true, please consider supporting it with a $5 monthly membership. I actually quit my job as a climate activist to pursue this show full-time because this is where I felt like my talents could best be put to use and I could have the biggest impact on the world. But I really need your support to keep going. I produce 10 shows a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule posting shows at least every third day. So if all that is worth 5 bucks a month or as little as $55, a year, a little discount for you, please consider signing up for a membership at bestoftheleft.com. Members even receive bonus audio and video content on top of the rest that doesn't make it into the final cut of the show. So please, again, check out the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. But it's Something's happening. Finally, tonight, as promised, a special comment about Ted Koppel's op-ed piece in the Washington Post yesterday entitled, Oberman O'Reilly and the Death of Real News, and I apologize up front for the heavy self-reference, but I hope you will agree that this is important. When Walter Cronkite died 16 months ago, he was rightly lionized for the quality of his work and the impact he affected on television news. He was praised for his utter objectivity and impartiality, and implicitly, and in some cases explicitly, there was wailing that this objectivity had died with him. And invariably, the same few clips were shown with each obituary. It was the night Cronkite devoted 14 minutes of the 30-minute-long CBS Evening News to a remarkable report on Watergate which devastated the Nixon administration, one so strong that the administration pressured CBS merely to shorten the next night's follow-up to just eight minutes. It was the extraordinary broadcast from Vietnam from four and a half years earlier in which he insisted that nothing better than stalemate was possible and that America should negotiate its way out, not as victors, but as an honorable people who lived up to their pledge to defend democracy and did the best they could. All that newscast did was convince the 36th president of the United States to not seek re-election. The deserved and heartfelt sadness at the loss of a great journalist and a great man had been turned into a metaphor for the loss of a style of utterly uninvolved, neutral, quote, objective reporting. Yet most of the highlights of the man's career had been those moments when he correctly and fearlessly threw off those shackles and said what was true and not merely what was factual. It has been the same with every invocation of Edward R. Murrow. Murrow would never have stood for the editorializing of today in his newscasts. The Murrow radio reports from London rooftops during the Blitz of 1940 are replayed and forever should be, and their creator is offered as a paragon of straight reporting. Yet it is never mentioned that as they happened, CBS was pressured to stop 
those searing explosions of truth from London, because our political leaders of the time believed they would unfairly influence Americans to side with the British when the nation was still officially neutral and the Republican Party was still completely convinced that there was a deal to be made with the Nazis. President Roosevelt did not invite Murrow to the White House to congratulate him on his London reports because they were fair and balanced. Similarly, the journalism students of now seven different decades have studied the Murrow broadcasts about Senator Joseph McCarthy from 1954. These are properly lauded as some of the greatest moments, not merely in the history of American journalism. They are considered such in the history of America. The story is told that a cowering, profit-hungry press stood idly by or even rode McCarthy's paranoia for circulation and for ratings, while the blacklist and the fear grew. And then Murrow slayed the dragon. Always left out, sadly, is the truth that within hours of speaking truth based on facts, Murrow was attacked as a partisan. The Republicans and the conservative newspapers and the conservative broadcasters described in what they would have insisted was neutral, objective, unbiased, factual reporting that in smearing the patriotic Senator McCarthy, Murrow was a Democrat, a liberal, a socialist, a Marxist, a communist, a traitor. Always left out, sadly, is the fact that these attacks worked. Within 12 months, Murrow's See It Now program had lost its sponsor and been reduced from once a week to once a month. Within 18 months, it had been shifted from every Tuesday night at 10.30 to once in a while on Sunday afternoons at 5, becoming, as one CBS producer put it, See It Now and Then. Mr. Koppel does not mention, nobody ever does, that the year in which Edward R. Murrow helped save this democracy by including his own editorial judgment in the news was the last year of his life throughout which Murrow appeared on a regular primetime news broadcast. He would be eased out of CBS entirely in seven years and dead in 11. The great change about which Mr. Koppel wrings his hands is not partisanship nor tone nor analysis. The great change was the creation of the sanitized image of what men like Cronkite and Murrow and Kaltenborn and Davis and Daly and Bockage and Smith and Severide and Rather and Jennings and Polk and Koppel did. These were not glorified stenographers. These were not neutral men. These were men who did in their day what the best of journalists still try to do in this one. Evaluate, analyze, unscramble, assess, put together a coherent picture or a challenging question, using only the facts as they can be best discerned, plus their own honesty and conscience. And if the result is that this story over here is a presidential chief of staff taking some pretty low-octane bribes and the scandal starts and ends there, you judge all the facts and you say so. And if the result is that that other story over there is not just a third-rate burglary at a political office, but the tip of an iceberg meant to sink the two-party system in this country, you judge all the facts and you scream so. Insist long enough that the driving principle behind the great journalism of the television era was neutrality and objectivity and not subjective choices and often dangerous evaluations and even commentary, and you will eventually leave the door open to pointless worship at the temple of a false god. And once you got a false god, you're going to get false priests. And sooner rather than later, in a world where subjective analysis is labeled evil and dangerous, some political mountebank is going to see his opening and seize the very catechism of that false god. Words like objective and neutral and two-sided and fair and balanced. And he will pervert them into a catchphrase, a brand name. And he can create something that is no more journalism than two men screaming at each other as a musical duet. But as long as there are two men, as long as they are fair and balanced, is not the news consumer entranced by the screaming and the fact that his man eventually and always outscreams the other? 
Is not he convinced that he has seen true journalism, true balance, true objectivity? I have read and heard much of late, including from Mr. Koppel in the Washington Post yesterday, about how those who succeeded his grand era of false objective, objectivity are only in it for the money or the fame or the chance to push a political party. Mr. Koppel also implied, as others have, that the men behind this network saw in the success of Fox News a business opportunity to duplicate that style but change the content. Mr. Koppel implied that yesterday. In fact, nothing could be further from the truth. And the very kind of fact-driven journalism Mr. Koppel seems to be claiming he represents and I fail would not stand for his sloppy assumptions and his false equivalents of both sides do it. We do not make up facts here. And when we make mistakes, we correct them. Friday night, I found, as we rehearsed its presentation, that a segment implying that former President Bush had lifted parts of his autobiography from other works of recent history was largely based on excerpts that mostly required heavy editing and still produced only weak evidence. We killed the segment. Would Fox have? Would CNN have? Ten days ago, Anderson Cooper 360 presented a political story in the most cataclysmic of tones. There were three guests an online magazine editor, a staunch liberal, and a staunch conservative. And they were in agreement. The story just wasn't that big a deal. The segment ran anyway. Moreover, while Fox may be such, we are not doctrinaire. I cannot prove it, so I'll have to estimate it here, and if I'm proved wrong, I'll happily correct it. But my intuition tells me I criticized President Obama more in the last week than Fox's primetime hosts criticized President Bush in eight years. To equate this network with Fox, as Mr. Koppel did, to accuse us of having our own facts, is another manifestation of a dangerously simplified understanding of modern news. This guy says the moon is a planetary fragment orbiting the Earth. This other guy says it's actually the body of the late Vince Foster. Have them both on and let them debate. It's fair and balanced. And to the charge that a bunch of bean counters seized upon a business opportunity, I have been here for every moment of this network's evolution. It began in 2003 when slowly, one fact at a time, we began to challenge the government's rationalization for the war in Iraq. A year later, I was told by the former president of this network that he did not want me or us to be a liberal answer to Fox News. The man whose hour followed mine then was a conservative ex-congressman. The year after that, I offered evidence that there seemed to be a disturbing juxtaposition of government terrorism warnings or counterterrorism detentions with political bumps in the road for the Republican Party. The woman whose hour followed mine then had been hired by us away from Fox. The year after that, I did the first of these special comments, and I fully expected that I might be fired after it. The year after that, I had to spend urging my employers to give my guest host her own show. Now there are three shows in primetime in which the content usually lines up with the small L liberal point of view, even as it needles and prods and sometimes pole axes the Democrats. And that conservative ex-congressman is still on the air here every day, and he has as much time as the three of us at night do put together. If this was a business plan, it was not as good as the one at the nearest kid's lemonade stand. This network came to this place organically. And therein lies the final irony to what Mr. Koppel wrote yesterday. We got here organically in large part because of Mr. Koppel. His prominence, you will recall, came when ABC News and sports president Rune Arledge, who never permitted business or show business to interfere in his judgments and his journalistic pledge of allegiance. When Mr. Arledge made the subjective and eminently correct decision that the hostage crisis at the U.S. Embassy in Tehran merited half an hour or more each night of the network's time in 1979. This was not the no-brainer that retrospect may suggest. CBS and NBC and PBS certainly did not do it. Even when CNN signed on in the middle of the next year, it did not do it. 
Arledge made his decision just four days after the hostages were seized and stuck with the story until it ended, defying the conventional wisdom of television and constantly pressing the government and questioning the official line. And even after those hostages were freed more than a year later, the half an hour of news, now renamed Nightline, continued. And each night for 26 years, Mr. Koppel and his producers and his employers subjectively selected which, out of a million stories, would get the attention of his slice of American television for as much as a half an hour at a time. Which story would be elevated and amplified, and which piles upon piles of stories would be postponed or tabled or discarded or ignored. Just as the story of Mr. Murrow's career emphasizes McCarthy, but not the fact that the aftermath, the aftermath rather, of the McCarthy broadcast buried Murrow's career, the stories of Mr. Koppel's career will emphasize the light he so admirably shone on the Iran hostages. Those stories, though, will probably not emphasize that in 2002 and 2003 and 2004 and 2005, Mr. Koppel did not shine that same light on the decreasingly coherent excuses presented by the government of this nation for the war in Iraq. Fourteen consecutive months of nightly half-hours on the travesty and tragedy of 52 hostages in Iran. But the utter falsehood and dishonesty of the process by which this country was committed to the wrong war, by which this country was committed to dishonesty, by which this country was committed to torture, about that, Mr. Koppel and everybody else in the dead, objective television news business he so laments about that, Mr. Koppel could not be bothered to speak out. Where were they? Worshipping before the false god of utter objectivity. The bitter irony that must someday occur to Mr. Koppel and the others of his time was that their choice to not look too deeply into Iraq before or after the war began was itself just as evaluative, just as analytically based, just as subjective as anything I say or do here each night. I may ultimately be judged to have been wrong in what I am doing. Mr. Koppel does not have to wait. The kind of television journalism he eulogizes failed this country because when truth was needed, all we got were facts, most of which were lies anyway. The journalism failed and those who practiced it failed and Mr. Koppel failed. I don't know that I'm doing it exactly right here. I'm trying. I have to. Because whatever that television news was before, we now have to fix it. Jay, this is Wes. I wanted to comment on a caller uh, about the tests that the educators have been given and uh, commenting that he thought that these tests wouldn't correctly adjust for one teacher that has a group of bad students compared to one teacher across the hall that has a group of uh, excellent students. And I uh, wanted to make sure that everyone understood that that's, uh, there's several good uh several good studies out there that have shown that have specifically adjusted for that people doing these studies understand that is an issue and therefore they compare the students at the beginning of the year to the same students in the same class with the same teacher at the end of the year eliminating any kind of differences between um, 
having a good set of students compared to a bad set of students. That's specifically what they control for. And if anything, this, this type of study that I described would, would uh, help out that teacher that takes the bad students because they have more room to grow and show that a teacher is a good teacher. Whereas uh, the teacher with all the smart students, there's less room you could say to grow. They may already know the material. They may not grow as much during the year. And therefore, the teacher would actually get worse results. Now, you know, you, that may be better or worse, but I think that is an improvement on what I believe he thought was the current method on these studies. Um, so thanks a lot for the show. Hey Jay, this is Matt in South Carolina, and I just finished uh, listening to the Honorable Class 2010 episode, and I was actually rather um, surprised and and kind of insulted by the first um, by the first clip talking about how uh, campaign spending it doesn't have that much effect on it. I just like to point out to anybody that um, thinks that it didn't have an effect that Russ Feingold actually lost here. He couldn't get any time, no matter how much money he had on it, he couldn't get any shows actually out there. So the effect of television didn't even get to be applied to him as much. Um, I don't see how, I mean, maybe if it's a similar amount of money, maybe that his points are valid. But when you totally monopolize the thing and don't make it able to the person, but they even know who else is running, it is absolutely impossible to say that it has no effect. And he says that, if he says that on the air, that uh, that spending matters much less, that people will hate him for it. I'm not going to hate him for it. I'm just, how can you not see that too much money will destroy, I mean, will jade everything. I mean, I don't, I don't see how he can... I, I got to end this. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for your time and thanks for the show. Hi, Jay. This is Scott. I'm calling from Hammond, Indiana, and I'm calling in response to the November 11th podcast where you mentioned that no one had called in to recommend worthy charities to donate to. I'm calling on behalf of New Beginning Shih Tzu Rescue, a non-for-profit dog rescue that rescues Shih Tzus and other small breeds in the spirit of, and in the spirit of, of full disclosure, I've been a volunteer for over two and a half years now. We rescue dogs from puppy mill, high kill shelter, and strain abandoned situations. We have no central kennel but foster the dogs in our own homes and adapt them out to individuals, couples, and families after we've gotten references and done a home visit so we have a better idea of where we're placing the dog or dogs. We foster dogs in approximately 14 states. The adaption fees we receive do not even come close to covering our medical expenses. Before any dog is adopted, he or she is completely vetted, given any medical treatment necessary, spayed or neutered, and microchipped. Any dog deemed not adoptable is not euthanized, but as long as it has a good quality of life, remains in our paws and, a paws and hands program until they pass. If any of your listeners would like to donate, adopt, or apply to foster, our website is www.nbstr.org. That's www.nbstr.org. And Jay, keep up the good work. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, uh, Jay, this is Art from California. I love the show. I just wanted to uh, respond to your latest show about WikiLeaks. Uh, to me, it seems like uh, the info is not as bad as 
people have been putting out to be just seems rather embarrassing and that's it, nothing dangerous. And it also seems like the government seems to be overreacting to something that ultimately, in the long run, is inconsequential. Uh, for example, I work for the government and they've gone as far as to block all news articles from their computers regarding anything regarding WikiLeaks from CNN, NBC. Uh, and it's, it's, it seems rather pitiful. It seems like an attempt to censor information, you know, information that's already been put out there. And ultimately, I just think it's the wrong way to handle anything. So just wanted to throw in my two cents. Thank you for that. And thank you for what you do. Hi, Jay. It's Chuck in Salt Lake City uh, calling in about the uh, Amazon issue. Um, you know, I, I would hate to see uh, you or your show suffer um, because you dropped your Amazon uh, link deal. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I know that I won't ever shop at Amazon again. As soon as I found out that Amazon had dropped WikiLeaks, I resolved to never use Amazon again. And I would actually be pretty surprised if uh, being uh, as progressive as your audience is, I'd be surprised if you're going to make any money off of your <laughs> off of your Amazon link. So, uh, so basically, yeah, go ahead and keep it if it's if it's making you money because uh, I understand how that works. You know, uh, I actually run a small business and um, I'm actually doing a drywall job right now uh, for the world's second largest polluter. Uh, or, or, or the, the, the country's second largest polluter, I'm sorry, and that would be MAGCOR here in Utah. Uh, and I certainly need the work, and so I'm remodeling their bathroom. <laughs> so anyway, that's my take on it. Thanks for all your work. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called in to leave a message. If you'd like to leave a comment, question, activist call to action, or suggest a charity people should be donating to this holiday season, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. And um, I'm going to spend one more day uh, addressing the Amazon WikiLeaks uh, ordeal. It's a pretty interesting topic. Lots of people had uh, comments about it on Facebook and uh, you know, so I think it deserves uh, you know more than just one day. Uh, obviously, um, I, I think this will be the last day I talk about it. But you guys are free to continue to call in, uh, give your thoughts, and uh, I'll play those messages on the sh- on the show. What I wanted to start out with today is actually something that I forgot to mention in the previous show, which was kind of a, a large point that just kind of slipped my mind in the middle. And it is that um, I had this irritation with this idea that. As liberals who want to be moral and you know never compromise on those uh, you know moral standards, that we end up having to fight all of our battles with one uh, hand tied behind our back, basically, and, and we end up fighting every single battle. Um, so this idea that you know I produce this show that uh, you know takes money from corporations doesn't have any problem speaking out against those corporations when they do something wrong, encourages people to boycott those corporations if you, uh, you know, agree with that stance, and uses their money to produce a show that kicks in the teeth of Republicans and conservatives every single day. You know, to me, that is a gigantic net positive. And, and so to, to ask this show 
to you know stop taking that money to me is really missing the bigger picture for uh, you know getting down into the weeds and i feel like we um you know we kind of fight every every single small battle which actually stops us from seeing the bigger picture and and uh building this infrastructure that we need i think you guys will all agree we need a, a much bigger political media infrastructure and the people we're fighting against don't have these types of moral qualms. I mean, can you imagine right-wing radio show hosts getting, uh, you know, letters from their listeners insisting that they stop advertising for a certain company because that company did something immoral? I mean, it's inconceivable to me that that happens. I mean, I kind of hope that it does happen, but I would guess that those other listeners' ideas of morals are, uh, you know, pretty pretty far uh, different from ours. As I always say, go do your own boycott, but uh, to insist that I take part in that and take this, you know, this hit this way that will diminish my own ability to produce the show and grow the show and expand it and do different things that I'd like to do is uh, really, really missing the bigger picture. To finish up on this topic, I want to read a couple of uh, emails, at least parts of them, uh, on this topic, one from either side of the debate. And uh, so, so the one, uh, I mean, I, I got kind of a lot of these. Um, most of them were about the same, but uh, the most unique email uh, supporting the idea that Amazon did the right thing uh, came from Gary. And so what he ended up saying is, you know, he, he has a, a business that um, has, you know, web space and they are also hosted on Amazon. And so he says that it would have been completely irresponsible for Amazon to continue hosting WikiLeaks right now. Bear in mind that Amazon Web Services hosts critical services for uh, a great many businesses, including mine, on their infrastructure. In recent days, WikiLeaks has been the target of not only overt government pressures, but also of private denial of service attacks. Had Amazon continued to host WikiLeaks, all of the other businesses and individuals who are hosted there would have been dragged into the matter as collateral damage. If this were purely a matter between Amazon and WikiLeaks, I'd be all in favor of the boycott that other listeners are proposing. But it's not. Dropping WikiLeaks was, to all appearances, a necessary step for Amazon to protect not only itself, but the many other innocent third parties whose businesses are hosted at Amazon Web Services. For that reason, I applaud Amazon's actions as the only responsible thing they could have done, end quote. And so, you know, I don't have any knowledge about the inner workings of Amazon, but that email indicates that, to me, things are more complicated than they are made out to be, almost always. So I don't know if anything in this email was true. Take it for what it's worth. It was, you know, an email from Gary sent to me. And, uh, and he writes with confidence of what he s says. Um, I don't know if it's true that if WikiLeaks had been hosted there and they had been, you know, attacked by hackers or, you know, denial of service uh, attacks, would that have affected the other businesses hosted with Amazon? I have no idea, but it's possible. And, you know, ha it rings true enough that makes me think there's more to this issue. So, now, for the email on the other side that came, this just came this morning, um, Mia writes in and says, uh, the subject is drop Amazon, exclamation point, read this and think again about your decision to con continue working with Amazon. 
and then quote, they came for the communists and I did not speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the trade unionists and so on and so on. Are you kidding me? I mean, what is this analogy? Is Joe Lieberman the Nazis and Amazon is the communists? Uh, Is Amazon the Nazis and WikiLeaks are the communists? And what part of what I'm doing sounds like I'm not speaking out? That's what I want to hear. What would flip this conversation completely on its head would be if money I took from any source, completely regardless of where it came from, you know, business or personal, if any money I took from anywhere had an impact on the content of the show, we'd be having a completely different discussion. Completely different. I understand that. And I hope you guys do too. Uh, you know, this show's never going to be taking ad dollars from a company that tries to exert pressure uh, on on the content of the show. So to me, that is the absolute bottom line of where this discussion ends regarding this show and advertisers. So that'll be it for today. Uh, you know, apologies for going long again. Uh, but as I said, I think this is an interesting topic that deserved uh, a little bit of extra time to be discussed. I want to thank a couple of members before I go. Uh, Taylor S. signed up on August 6th, signed up for a, a full year in advance. Um, Taylor's actually a friend of mine, actually. Uh, I met her at uh, Netroots Nation, and it was awesome of her to sign up uh, for a membership afterwards. And uh, Teresa C. signed up for a membership on September 3rd, uh, also signed up for a full year in advance, and went a little bit above and beyond just to help out the show a little bit more. So huge thanks to uh, Teresa and Taylor. Uh, You guys rock the world. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it. It makes a huge difference. Stay connected with the show and help spread the word to your friends online by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. For details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all of that is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 10 times a month. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com.